Good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're watching online or whether you're here, I invite you to open it up your copy of God's Word to Romans, to Romans, as we are like a couple of snails working our way through the introduction here. And we're only going to be looking at verse 5 today. And uh, we'll, we'll make it through here when we're all old. Yeah, but we're going to enjoy every verse of it. There was just a couple of phrases here in verse 5 that I couldn't get past this week. And I said, this is, the, this is where we are going to stay today. And uh, so look at your, you should have your notes. I, I did something a little different. I hope it didn't throw you off. You should have your outlines are over there. It's on, they're stapled this week. And you have your, your growth group material on the back. I'm urging you by, with that staple to be part of growth group in my subtle way. So uh, sort of funny this morning, and uh, me and John were the only ones that appreciated it. I, I, I always change my battery pack, at my batteries every week so my battery doesn't go dead. And so I reached out there this, in the box this morning. I had my old batteries in one hand. I reached in there and got the new batteries and I got, my mind got distracted and I looked up and I said, John, which which ones were the new? Which ones were the old? So if my battery go, go pack goes dead today, I'll just wax philosophical while he changes it out. So it's just part of old age, I guess. I don't know. But um, praise God that God's word's new every morning. Let's stand to our feet. Let's, let's read. We're going to read verses 1 to 7 together. I want you to put this together every week as we work our way through the text. Romans 1 verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this morning and we, we hone in just in just these few words in this one verse, Lord, help us to understand what it means to be devoted to you and to you alone. Lord, I ask for our, your help today because all of our minds process information different ways. There are those that are very literal today. We're all at different places in our spiritual walk and in our maturity. So, Lord, allow us to, to get on the same spiritual page, Lord, that we would be of one mind with you on the importance, the, the fundamental, foundational of, point of this text. It's what I want to preach and what our folks, people want to understand and apply. And so, Lord, help us all, we pray, through the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. So look at your main idea. This is the main idea of, of, of verse, from verses 1 all the way down to verse 7. 
The power of the gospel brings a devoted partnership that calls us first to God, then brings us together and deploys us on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're working our way through all of that. We have all, we're still on the devoted partnership that calls us first to God. That's sort of what we're working at. Gospel, devoted, what does that mean? So what has Paul taught us so far? Paul has identified himself. We talked about identity precedes what we do. That he is a slave means that his will, his mind, will, and emotions are bound up in the will of God. That he was saved, called out of his sin to be an apostle. That is to take the good news of the gospel to all peoples, especially to the Gentiles. Paul wanted then, we saw last week, to answer this timeless question, Who is Lord? Because the reality is somebody is, something is Lord. And the people that he's going to his lives and in our life. Paul's identity drives his devotion. But to whom does his ultimate devotion belong? Does it, is it to his family? Is it to his job? Is it even to his calling? To be an apostle? Is it his church? Is it the nations? No. He's made it clear to us that his first devotion is to the biblical, historical Jesus, who is our Messiah and reigning King. This was such a big deal because. From Julius Caesar to Nero and even beyond, Caesar worship was a, was a huge thing in the people's context. This, this was where they set up a bust of the reigning emperor, the reigning Caesar. And you were required by law when you went by to say, there's three words, didn't matter whether you meant it or not, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Everybody went by had to say, Caesar is Lord. Now, do you see a problem with being a Christian? And you're, having a, you're called to walk by that statue. You see, that's when devotion comes into play. When it's going to cost you something. You find out what you're devoted to. And people give up their lives just because they would not say three little words. Devotion precedes everything else. And our, my goal this morning, our goal is to try to understand devotion as an onion, so to speak. And we're trying to peel that, that onion to get to the center. I'm not saying that these other good things and these lesser things of, of your devotion are bad today. So don't hear that. Don't think so literal that you can't understand the point. I'm trying to get to the heart of our devotion because nothing else comes you are struggling sometimes with your giving or with even attending biblical community with other people. Not because of all of these secondary things you blame it on, but because of this issue here in the text. So I want us to see first devotion's grace. He says in verse 5, we have received. What has he received? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But particularly, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you look at the text, you'll see it. The grace we have received. So it is the grace, if you look at your notes, that we must take hold of. I want us to think about this. We say it all the time. What exactly is sovereign grace? I like it. I use that term all the time. But let's talk about what it is. He's, he's bound up in this reality that it is grace to be called by this king. This king who is the biblical, historical Jesus. It is grace. Is a, what is grace? A gift that we don't deserve and do not have to repay. He goes on to say, let's listen, Romans 5, 2, that this is a life-orienting grace. He says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It is life-orienting. It is foundational to everything you are going to stand on in the future. It is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? The Greek word here points to the word dynasty. It's a person who rules or commands. It is sovereign grace. We have received. It means we have received. It means to take hold of it. So what put that together? He is called by the sovereign grace of Almighty God through Jesus Christ to be an apostle. That means he willingly submits to the authority of this king who has called them not only to himself, but has called them for a specific purpose. He says, the sovereign Lord has called me first to himself and then to be an apostle of God. What am I supposed to do other than to do what he says? There is a grace that comes with your calling, not only to Christ, but also what he has, how he has called you to serve. His was apostleship. Matter of fact, every other time you read in the other letters, and even in this one, when he defends his apostleship, he said, this was grace. I didn't ask to be an apostle. I was chosen to be. This authority, when he speaks, he speaks to any church with the same authority. And they were expected to obey, not because of Paul, but because of the one who has chosen him to be an apostle. He is considered, he considers being a messenger. It's nothing but sheer grace. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, we know this. We read this on a regular basis. Let's remind ourselves of it this morning. That the king of glory has entrusted us with something. That's what he's getting at. He's entrusted us with something. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, I am not here in your pages turn. Of course, I know you got computers and you can touch it in. And I, that's, that's good too. But don't, don't forget, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And, and that, that calling is nothing but grace. 
So the question this morning, before we even hardly get started, is how are you receiving, how are you using the grace that you've received? 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us of something. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 27 says, now remember, he's writing to the church. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles. You can hear everybody saying, well, no, right? That's the sort of, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. We don't all have the same gift, that's what he's saying. But you're responsible as a steward to use what God has given you. But don't miss this this morning. If, if God has called you to be saved, He has called you to serve. If He has called you to be saved, He has called you to be part of a local family of the redeemed called the church. If He has called you to be saved, He has called you to make disciples. If He has called you to be saved, He has called you to evangelize. It comes together. You cannot separate it. Paul never got over this. His devotion produced then, as we'll look at in a few verses later, a longing and a drivenness. Devotion's grace then that we grab a hold of willingly because of the king who called us orients us toward devotion's mission. And here we must slow down and think because notice the words that he uses. This is, this is what just stopped me when I was reading this verse. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. And here's, here it is, to bring about the obedience of faith. Now let's just set aside for a minute. We're going to come back for the sake of his name last. Notice what it says. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. So whatever this obedience of faith is, is connected, even if it is, the mission. So when Paul went to a new community that never heard the gospel, or he sat down with a Jewish person in the synagogue, or whether he sat with a Gentile in the market, what did he desire to bring about there? What was he praying for God to do? And what do you pray to do when you ask that lost person or family member to coffee? What are you praying for? What do you want to see? He says to bring about the obedience of faith. That's what he's saying. So what does he mean? Is this an obedience that leads to faith? Is this an obeying faith? Because the Bible teaches that and James is all over that and that's true. But is that what he means? Or is he talking about something that's in the inside of this onion that we must understand about devotion? Something that is central, that is motivating principle. 
that happens the moment God saves us, the moment He regenerates our soul. I don't think we can understand it without first thinking about sin. We can't understand the obedience of faith until we understand the disobedience of unbelief. So what makes this distinction? Let's think about sin for a few minutes. We have done a travesty to people when we minimize sin in their life. Because sin is primarily about disobedience. We oftentimes simply focus on the fact that this sin in your life is making you miserable. It is producing a burden on your conscience. It's causing you painful consequences. So let's just pull one out of the air. We could have used anything. Here's one we most of us struggle with. Some, we're all struggling with worry or anxiety. And so what do we say to that person? But you know, worry is bad for your health. Now, is that true? Amen. Plenty of science and the Bible both say bad for your health. So I just need to stop. So sin is the fact that I can't stop what I want to stop. Is that, is that true? It's lesser to some degree, yes, it's true. Is that what he's getting at? Here's the problem. If we're not careful, we're going to teach people by what we say that we believe in Jesus so that he can get rid of some things in our life and bring other things in our life. Is this the ultimate? Is this the center of the gospel? It is a huge problem theologically and doctrinally to teach that the Lord Jesus is to come into your life just to fix your problems. Does he fix our problems? Praise the Lord. Yeah. A little bit at a time. But we must answer the question, what is sin? Sin is first and foremost rebellion against God. Sin is a turning your back on the Almighty. Sin is a stiff-arming the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what it is. It is its ultimate. Most people, if you talk to them, believe they're pretty good people. We don't get drunk. We don't sleep around. We don't cuss that much. We seldom steal, and we usually come home to our spouses at night. I'm a pretty good person. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Sin is a refusal to listen to the voice of God. Sin is a refusal to listen to the Word of God. Think about it. What was the original sin? Was, was it murder? Was it homosexuality? Was it drunkenness? No. It was when man stopped listening to God and started listening to somebody or something else. It's the most heinous of crimes in our life. I think it was R.C. Sproul called it cosmic treason. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to what? To God's law. Indeed, 
It cannot. Indeed, what it's saying, it has no ability. If this is the essence of the obedience of faith, then listening to what God has said about his son is of first importance. What has God said about Jesus Christ? Nothing else in your life matters ultimately until we get that right. It's worth taking a week off of your work and going somewhere and getting alone with God Almighty and says, Who is this Jesus? Paul is saying the obedience to the Word of God, to who Jesus is, is the center of our devotion. One passage, Romans 10, is, is almost even a little troubling. As, as Paul leans into his Jewish brothers about this issue. And he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. But listen to what he says. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. Here's the truth. The Jewish people, to this day, obey what the Old Testament says. They obey the Bible. Paul is saying they missed everything. Why? Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. Though you obey the ver- every jot and tittle in this book, if you get Jesus wrong, you get it all wrong. And one day, it'll all be for nothing the memberships and the prayer cards and the revivals and the emotionalism and everything. You get Jesus wrong. You get it all wrong. That's what he's saying. Nothing else. What frustrates pastors and leaders and parents. Here's the issue. They've got Jesus wrong. And so everything else is wrong. And until they get Jesus right, you will not see the fruit. He's not talking about the fruit of faith. He's talking about what's down in the root of faith. And that is devotion to Jesus Christ. What should you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? Why should you believe it? Because you want to be helped? Do you want Jesus because he'll remove our depression and help our finances or improve our relationship? No. We believe in Jesus because God commands it. Period. That's what he's teaching us this morning. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Not what he offers us. John 6, 28 and 29. Listen to what he says. He could have said it any other way. He said, and they said to him, what must we do 
to be doing the works of God. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the only work, foundationally, that we must get right. 1 John, in, in the Gospel of John and 1 John, says this is what it means to abide. It's our devotion to Christ and him alone. Acts 17, Paul is speaking to pagans. And he said, God isn't winking over your sin anymore. And he commands all people to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And there's coming a day when he is going to make it all right. 1 John 3, 1 John 1, 10 said, If we do not acknowledge our sin, we call God a liar. This is foundational to all our mission work because what are we calling people to do? What are we calling people to? To stop doing this and start doing that? No, that's sanctification, brothers and sisters. We're calling them to put their faith in Jesus Christ alone and Him alone. We can't generate this. Only the Spirit of God working through the Word of God does. And this is our starting point. All of us, we're all sinners here. All of us went our own way. But we have agreed with God about our sin, and we have submitted ourselves to the only one who can save us, placing our faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, orienting our whole lives toward Christ, and listen, and toward His mission that He clearly lays out. Devotion's grace orients us toward devotion's mission. And devotion's mission has devotion's people. You see, if you get Jesus wrong, you'll make the Christian life all about yourself. Matter of fact, there's theological frameworks that keeps you chasing a carrot of good works your whole life. No wonder why we don't ever even see the mission of God. We don't see lost people. We're just worried about ourselves. He says, no, no, you must be focused on devotions, people. Look at the text. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. All the nations. This is ethnos, nations, people groups. So when we read John 3.16, we read it, For God so loved me. That he gave his life for me. That I shouldn't perish. It's not what it says. What it means here is that God so loved all peoples. Jews and Gentiles. Slaves and free. Men and women. And he wants them to catch this. He's going to bleed this out more, but he wants them to catch this. He wants the Roman believers to begin to see not just their lost neighbors, but the lost nations. Paul has his mind on Spain. When's the last time you thought of an unreached people group? When is the last time you said, Lord, how can I rearrange my life? 
to either go or to send somebody it goes. Quit using what God has done in your life as an excuse not to do what he's told us all to do. You can, you can go or you can send, and he's told us to. Paul is, that's what Paul's doing. He's trying to orient these believers toward the mission of God, toward Acts 1.8. Here's what he's saying. If we partner together, when I come to Rome, then you'll be my base camp. We'll be able to go to Spain, and then we will all enjoy the harvest of souls, what God will do when we bring the gospel to them. Not everybody in Rome is going to go to Spain. But some people are going to go and some people are going to send them. This is why your regular giving is important. This is why making a goal to increase our cooperative program giving is important. Because there's even among this room, there's some of their friends and family who just went. And who's going to support them? We are. That's what, that's what the king is saying this morning, by the way. Not what Stephen's saying. That's what the king is saying. That's what he is calling us to do. This is a promise. John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It's the same people that he speaks of in Romans 1, 5. All types of people. From all nations. All people groups. Everybody. No matter who they are. That's what we've been called to. The Jewish Messiah is the Savior of the world. And our devotion then, as to Christ alone, produces through the power of the Holy Spirit an orientation toward the mission of God. It's not something that we have to coax up by our fancy preaching and programs. So we seek to bring a people to the obedience of faith for one reason. You see the text? For the sake of his name. That's it. For his glory. We seek to make disciples that make disciples for one reason. Not so they can name some building after us one day. For the sake of his name. God's glory and our devotion are inseparable truths. God is honored, yes, when he is not obeyed. That is true. But God is not honored or glorified if his people do not devote themselves to Jesus Christ, lock, stock, and barrel. That means everything. We call people to repent. We call sin what sin is. Not because we're brash or rude or because we're arrogant. But because it's true. And it's the only way people might be saved. What did Jesus say? John 17. John 17. Let's go to it. I know you know it. But look at it anyway. Here's what I'm finding out as going through Romans. I've read Romans a thousand times. And I'm reading it one verse at a time going, oh my goodness. What does that word, what does that phrase mean? I had never thought about that one before. I, 
I'm just going to have to camp out here. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heavens and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to, to who, all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, and I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It is all about glory. Our absolute devotion is a command today. Anything less brings dishonor to God. Paul lived and labored and died with that central truth. And listen, this is our highest privilege too. To this we have been called. Is it going to look the same in your life as it does in Paul's or mine? No. But we all have the same purpose. We are all called to both missions and ministry. And God has gifted everybody with a purpose to accomplish that. So to be the best pastor I can be, or the best teacher that you can be, or the best nurse you can be, or the doctor or salesperson, mom, dad, son, daughter, yes, those are good things. Those are worthwhile things. But the one central goal to see in all of our obedience through faith in Jesus Christ is to bring all people to the obedience of faith, including those in our house, but also including the nation's. This is what God has called us to, battleground. Nothing less. We've got to start in the middle, though. So to whom, what, to whom or to what are we devoted? When you take the onion of your faith, the onion of your many do devotions, and you begin to peel those away one good leaf at a time, family, jobs, relationship, church. And you begin to peel those away. What I'm asking you to look at this morning is who is at the center? Because you can do all of those things and have yourself in the center. And what Jesus is telling us out of his great love is that Jesus Christ and him alone is the center. Everything else becomes a burden and not a blessing when Jesus is not the center of it. No matter what a blessing they are. You can give head service to your children or a blessing, but if Jesus and his glory for the sake of his name to bring about the obedience of faith is not the center, they will become a burden in your life. Have I come to Christ to surrender to his lordship? Or merely, merely to be saved from my problems. It's another one of these quotes this week. One quote usually every week. It just gets all over me along with the text. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was really instrumental in just turning me on my ear, by the way. I love that. I've listened to his preaching. You can hear all of his preaching online. And 
I just hear his, hear his cool accent when he talks, you know. If you haven't got a chance to avail yourself of his sermons, you should. Here's one of his quotes. Paul was a Christ-intoxicated man. He lived for his praise and glory. I was like, man, what would it be to be a Christ-intoxicated person? You ever been around anybody that's intoxicated? You know, they don't think they smell like alcohol. You know, they got their breath men in. It's one of the funniest things to see. You pull up one of those cops programs, you know. And the guy comes out, you know, and he's stalking all over the place. And he's probably sprayed him a little cologne. He really thinks he's okay. But what's the truth of that intoxicated person? Whatever has intoxicated them is all over them. It's in them. It's affecting their mind. It's affecting their judgments. affecting what they do, what they say. It's what he's saying. We should be a Christ-intoxicated person that lives for the praise and His glory. Not for the approval of others. Not from the control of my circumstances. But I, I have surrendered to Jesus in order to serve Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this. Think about that Christ intoxicated. That's just the verse that popped in my head when I was thinking about that. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God amongst those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death, and to other, the fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. To this we have been called. And so what I'm calling you to this morning is devote yourself afresh and anew. To give yourself. I'm not asking you to make a decision for Jesus. I'm asking him to do what God has commanded you to do. To repent and to give everything, lot, stock, and barrel to the only one who is worthy of your life to the praise and the glory of His name. And His name is Jesus. That's what we're calling ourselves to as we respond in just a few minutes. Let us renew ourselves. That's what we are doing here as we, as we come and gather that's what the old sacrificial system, a lot of those things, when once the atonement had been made, God's people were bringing offerings of thanksgiving and gratefulness and devotion. That's what your giving is. That's what we're coming to the tables together to remember what has been done and to commune with that person who longs to commune with his people. And that person has a name, and his name is Jesus. That's what we're coming to do now. And so let us do it together as one body and of one mind. Let's pray. So, Lord, we have heard from your word today. So we ask 
Let the Holy Spirit do what only He can do. To reveal in all of us the center of our devotion. Who am I devoted to, God? Is it, is it your son? Or is it a lesser good thing? Peel it away, Lord, so that I can see, so that we can repent and turn and place you there, your son, through the power of the Spirit. Give us what we need as we give. Commune with us through, the, through Jesus Christ as we come to the table. And we remember the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf that brings us not only into your family, gives us these wonderful people that we've been allowed to spend our lives with and gives us a promise that we will be with them, but especially, chiefly, primarily with you and your son forever. Oh God, help us to be people of mission. Help us to challenge ourselves to reorient our lives this morning towards the mission. For the praise of your glory, God, we pray. And we respond and we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.